comes from Luke, chapter 12, verses 22 through 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap, they have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable you are than birds. Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider how the wildflowers grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon, in all his splendor, was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. For the pagan world runs after all such things, and your father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will never fail where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Public reading is a gift, isn't it? And uh, it's a joy for us to have gifted readers help bring alive uh, God's word and passages like this. So thank you, Jessica, and the other readers that we have in our community. Thank you. Let me say a word of prayer, and we'll look at this. Jesus, we thank you for all the ways that you have poured out your gifts upon this church community, whether if it's people that read well, or care well, or speak well, or serve well, um, all things that come from you. Another gift is your word, your voice in our lives, directing us, reminding us, renewing us, saving us. We thank you for the voice that we hear through your written word. And we pray that we would listen well, that we would hear you well. Give us humble hearts, receptive hearts. Give us Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. As many of you may know, uh, last week I was out of town on a special leadership retreat, something we've done uh, annually now for the last eight or nine years. We call it the session retreat, and session is a Presbyterian word for uh, the group of elders and pastors over a church. And this was, speaking of extended family of faith, uh, the time for myself as well as the elders and pastors of the other congregations of our Grace DC network to get away to go away up to the northeast, actually, for times of prayer and relationship and lots of food, uh, but also decision-making and planning, and it was a wonderful time. On my way out our front door, as I said goodbye to Paula and then hopped onto the metro, it occurred to me that I actually hadn't really prepared to get away. You know, sometimes you need to get ready to get ready to rest or to retreat, to decompress. I realized I hadn't done that, and so I started just flipping on my phone and emailing Paula some reflections and some thoughts as I realized I had 
left behind my family and work and neighborhood life and was off to a car up to Vermont. And that's when it occurred to me as I was writing to Paula, and I said something along these lines, it hasn't really hit me till now just how much stress I've been carrying around. How much has been on my mind or on my back, as it were, carrying around day to day, functioning well, moving from thing to thing and burden to burden and responsibility to responsibility, helping to raise two toddlers, one named Elena and the other one named Grace Meridian Hill, a toddler church, that's still growing into a state of financial stability, long-range decision-making challenges that are always in play, relationships that we all have in our lives that we're wondering, is such and such person I care about doing all right? There's a search for a home in an overheating housing market, second child on the way, lots of programs in the church on the way, Then every now and then, a terrible incident like one that we had just up the street here, a crime of violence, a neighbor, a victim of that. Realizing I've had a lot of worries on my mind and on my heart. I wonder if you do too. Worry is what Jesus is addressing here in this passage. Jesus is talking to a crowd of very ordinary people. These aren't religious elite types. These are just people like you and me. People that are living day to day. People that are here in this passage, farmers, fishermen, peasants. He's up in an open space next to the Sea of Galilee. And he's teaching them about a number of things. And here he lands on the topic of... Of worry. Now, I know maybe the word worry doesn't actually capture what you feel like you're going through today. But maybe you say, yeah, actually, what I do feel, however, is pressure from responsibilities at home or at work. Or maybe a decision that I need to make that's just been weighing me down. Maybe it's stress. Or maybe it's just uncertainty in life, not knowing what's coming up in the future. I don't know what to do. I don't know what's going to happen. Worry at the heart of which is just really a sense of iffiness that gives way to fear. Different people cope with it differently. Different people struggle with different forms of it. What have you, dear friends, been worrying about lately? Maybe you're new to the neighborhood or new to the church or maybe new to your housing situation. Maybe quietly you're saying to yourself, am I going to have real friends? Maybe you're struggling to make ends meet. Maybe you're saying to yourself, will I be able to pay the bills this month? Or maybe you know you're able to pay the bills, but you keep on doing like I've been doing and parking in the wrong zone and getting your car towed. And so even when, I don't know how many times this has happened, it's a little embarrassing, don't ask us why it keeps happening, right? And slowly you watch money going out the door. Or maybe you recently lost your job and you're wondering, will I ever get another one? 
Or maybe the worry of your heart is, will I ever find a husband or wife? Will we ever be able to have kids? Maybe there's someone else's life on your mind, their well-being because of self-destructive behavior. What is it for you? And I want to invite you to identify it. Maybe even take a pen right now and write it down in that white space in your, in your bulletin. Because sometimes our worries can feel endless and endlessly nagging. And we just need to nail it down and pin it down a little bit and give some attention to those things that have just been pummeling us all throughout the week, day, and maybe even night. There's a lot of unhelpful advice and unhelpful strategies in dealing with worry, though, isn't there? Unhelpful advice, even if it's popular advice. Popular, for example, if I were to say to you, don't worry, be happy. Something we've all heard many times, perhaps, if you've been around since 1988, when Bobby McFerrin popularized that great, great song. He's a musical genius. Great song, Bad Philosophy of Life, right? They don't just go away that easily, do they? Not especially when they run deep. By the way, I was looking up the lyrics to the song just to remind myself. It's been a long time since I've seen the song. Uh, Just great words here. Uh, The landlords say your rent is late. He may have to litigate. Don't worry. Be happy. I mean, (laughs) you know, if that's actually what you're facing, I don't know if don't worry, be happy is going to work for you today. Unhelpful advice. Sometimes even coming in spiritual, even Christian form. Not don't worry, be happy, but don't worry, trust God. I mean, just that simple, right? Just trust God. And it's not that Jesus doesn't say that. You do hear him say, oh dear friend, oh ye of little faith. Worry is overcome with faith. But what does that mean? What does that look like? And this is what Jesus is doing in this multi-paragraph passage, explaining how you overcome or how you meet worry and stress and anxiety and concern and burdens with faith in God. He offers a number of things, not don't worry, be happy, But something else, and this is what we're going to look at for the next two weeks, actually. Four things today and a couple more next week. If not, don't worry, be happy, then what is it? What's the answer? Number one, Jesus says, don't worry, be a bird watcher. Be a bird watcher. First of all, did you notice the way that Jesus teaches this? He's telling us that the way to overcome stress and worry is that you need to argue with yourself. You need to reason with yourself. You need to talk to yourself. He's saying, look, if you're worried, consider the ravens. If you're worried, consider the lilies of the field. Don't you know this? Don't you see this? Don't you believe this? He's telling us it doesn't just magically go away. Why? Because worry is the battle of the mind and of the heart. And it's a mind and a heart that's believing lies. Lies like, 
I'm never going to find anyone that's going to take care of me or love me. Lies like there might be a God out there, but he doesn't actually care about the details of my life. Lies like, sure, Jesus died for me, but he kind of checked out of my life after that. Lies like, I really do have the power to overcome all things in life and control my worries away. We'll come back to that in a little bit. Jesus says, you have to argue and reason with the lies of your worries and replace them with better reasons for trusting in God. And here he gives one by pointing us to birds of all things. Verse 24, consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barns, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable you are than birds. Remember, ravens in ancient times, and they still are this way as well, they were wild birds. We're not talking about cute, pretty, keep-me-company type of parakeets or exotic birds that are pleasant to look at or to be around. We're talking about nasty birds, scavenger birds, Uh, Birds that run around and pick at food in a garbage heap. Birds that eat stuff off the ground. Uh, Birds that are dirty, that are annoying. So, we need to modernize and urbanize this little illustration that Jesus gives. What might be the modern equivalent of such a bird in a neighborhood like ours? (laughs) I heard someone say rats. That's actually the right... (laughs) pigeons are rats with wings. When was the last time you saw a pigeon pushing a shopping cart down aisle four in Giant, the supermarket right over here? It's a ridiculous thought, a foolish thought. When was the last time a pigeon carefully stored away its food to make sure it had something to eat tomorrow? When was the last time a pigeon did anything to anticipate its need of food? Jesus makes the point, they don't. They never have to. Why? Because God takes care of its needs. And you have to understand here the argument. Here's a nasty rat bird. And you have never seen a dead pigeon that died of starvation. Hit by a truck is a different story. God cares for its needs and never lets it down. And this is what Jesus is saying. Don't you think God cares about you much more? You're more important than the birds and the eyes and the heart of God. And here you are worried and anxious and stressed out because that need, what is it? Is it money? Is it relationship? Is it achievement? That thing in your life that you're saying, it's not going to happen. And Jesus says, don't you know how important you are 
to God. Much more important than the rat bird. He's going to take care of you. He's going to take care of you. He may not give you what you want necessarily, but he definitely will give you what you need. He will take care of you. And then Jesus continues, consider how the wild flowers grow. Verse 27, they don't labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. That's how God closes the, gla- the, clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire. How much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? And here Jesus isn't talking about nice Mother's Day flowers. Not talking about tulips that you carefully tend in your personal garden. He's talking about those tough little wildflowers that find their way through the crack in the sidewalk. <laughs> the, 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 the surprisingly delicate but tough and beautiful yellow little flowers that pop their way up in those dirt patches in the sidewalk that have no trees in them. Splashes of color in an otherwise abandoned plot of land. They come out of nowhere. They grow and they have beauty and even splendor to them. Colors that you can't make up. The blues, the greens, the purples, the yellows. Check them out on the way out today. When was the last time Jesus invites us to consider? When was the last time you saw a wildflower browsing through the clothing section at Target? Never. Never seen it. Because God takes care of even the flowers. Clothing them with something glorious, something full of splendor. God will take care of you, dear friends. And Jesus is teaching us to think through our lives and to look for evidence all around us. He's telling you to be creative in noticing evidence of God's reliability and provision as evidenced by life all around you. Look at birds, look at trees, look at animals, look at squirrels, look at people in your life, look at your own life, look around. Do you have open eyes today to see proof of God's provision? That's the invitation. And then are you learning to say to yourself, based upon what you see, I am valued by God. To shout down the lies of your heart that make you feel like, I think I'm neglected here. And instead to be able to say, no, no, no. I'm loved. I'm important to God. The God who made me. The God who redeems me. God will take care of you. And that one need, the one you just jotted down, that one need, God will take care of you. Just look at the birds. Do that on your way out today. Go find yourself a friendly pigeon. Don't touch it, though. (laughs) Number two. Don't worry. Be a bird watcher. Number two. Don't worry. Be reasonable. Man, Jesus gets really 
down to earth and practical and logical here in verse 25. Who of you, he says, by worrying can add a single hour to your life? When was the last time your anxious heart and your stressing and your obsessing over whatever it is that's on your mind and heart, when was the last time that that actually did you any good? Worrying, you just have to love the simplicity of this wisdom. It's not a big point. It's almost in passing, but worrying gets you nowhere. It doesn't actually do you any good. It doesn't change anything. In fact, it drains you. It's a waste of energy. Corey Ten Boom, who was a Christian woman who hid Jewish families in her home during the Nazi Holocaust, in other words, she knew a little bit about stress and anxiety, has this wonderful quote where she simply says, look, worry does not empty tomorrow of its sorrow. It empties today of its strength. And some have said worry is like a rocking chair. It keeps you busy, but it gets you nowhere. And some of us are just so consumed with thinking and overthinking and fearing and overfearing, thinking that that's the most responsible way to tackle your worry, or maybe you just don't know any other way You're getting nowhere. In fact, you're probably killing yourself. You can't add a single hour to your life. Don't worry. Be reasonable. Number three, don't worry. Be human. Don't worry. Be human. Let me read that verse again, verse 25, and again, along with verse 26. Jesus says, Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life, since you cannot do this very little thing? Why do you worry about the rest? In that first verse, Jesus literally says, Who of you, by worrying, can add a cubit to his span. A cubit was an ancient measurement of distance, which was the length from your hand to your elbow, approximately 18 inches. He's saying you don't have the power to elongate your life by 18 hours or to elongate your reach into that thing you are trying to grasp at a relationship or a, or a, a spouse or, or more money or more stability or more happiness, these things that are just uh, making you anxious. Your worrying can't make your arm 18 inches longer. Your worrying can't make your day that feels overly crowded 18 minutes longer. Your worrying can't add $18 an hour to your paycheck it can't. And here Jesus is putting his finger specifically on our powerlessness before the circumstances that we're facing. You cannot do this very thing, Jesus is saying. In other words, you wouldn't worry so much if you really believed you can't do this very little thing. In other words, one reason we get stressed or anxious is our pride. Because we quietly believe that we 
have the power to control our circumstances. David Pallison, a wonderful counselor in a great article that has really shaped so much of what I'm saying here today, article called Don't Worry, writes this. Worry assumes the possibility of control. Control over the uncontrollable. The illusion of control lurks inside your anxiety. Anxiety and control are two sides of one coin. We want to control something. Since we can't control it, we worry about it. Or to put it another way, worry comes from having a little bit of a God complex. (laughs) That I really think I might be able to manage how other people perceive me. Therefore, I'm worried about my reputation with them, even though I can't control it, but now I think I can. So let me manage everything everyone thinks about me, and now I'm anxious about what people think about me. Or maybe money, which of course you can work, and there are specific concrete things you can do to manage your money and to earn money, and we should and be good stewards of our possessions. But you can't control a crazy economy. You can't control when a boss decides to let you go. You can't control, perhaps, different things that happen and happen all the time. And yet our worry is because we quietly in our hearts wonder if we just might be able to control our out-of-control circumstances. Jesus is inviting us to be human. Wonderfully, gloriously human in our limitations. In other words, to put our trust in a God who is in control. (laughs) To be able to say, I couldn't have made a difference anyway in some of these things. And one of the most important things for us to learn how to do is to distinguish between what you can control in those circumstances and what you can't. Did I say that right? What you can't and what you can And to apply yourself to the things that you can, humbly, faithfully, with good stewardship, and then pray towards things that you can't control, because God is the only one that can really do it. And so whether if it's Paula and me and working through just what has been a challenging house hunt, there are certain things we can do to get our finances in order and do our due diligence and study the market and look at homes and to see and order our priorities and work through them. But it, when it comes to putting a bid on a place and losing out, we can't control that. When it comes to finding a place that meets our needs and our vision for who we want to be as a family, and if it doesn't all work out, Well, there are certain things simply we cannot control. So we go to God then, maybe, and we're struggling to do this and trying to figure out how to do this and to say, God, we trust you to treat us better than you treat the birds. (laughs) We don't know how this is going to work out. And a lot of this is beyond our reach. 18 inches too short every single time. But God, your arm is never too short to save. Your arm is never too short to redeem. Your arm is never too short to grab exactly what my life needs off the shelf of your unlimited storehouses of grace. And you will give me exactly what I need when I need it. And again, it will always be what I need and not always what I want. But I trust in you. But I trust in you. 
Trust that God is in control, that God is at work, that God is on the move. And lastly, for today, again, we've got a couple more coming up next week, but don't worry. Don't worry. Be a bird watcher. Be reasonable. Be human. Lastly, be a child. Be a child. You're not just important to God because you're a person. You're important to Him. You're valuable to Him because He's your Father. And if you've embraced Jesus, you're God's child. He loves you. Cares for you. Verse 29, and do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. For the pagan world runs after all such things. And your father knows that you need them. You have a father that knows that you are needy. Knows that you are flighty. Knows that you are limited. Knows that you are weak. Who loves you. And sees all of your needs with perfect wisdom and perfect insight. He knows what you need. Verse 32, do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Your father is generous. Do you secretly believe that God is a miser? holding back the best of what he has from you. He can only give you his splendor. He can only clothe you with glory. He will only give you the best. Again, it may not be the best you had in mind, but can you trust the goodness and the kindness of your heavenly Father? Because he's generous, and it's his joy, it's his delight. He doesn't just give us relief for our stress or solutions for our worries. He gives us Himself. You're not alone. You have a Father who rules over the universe, who cares for every need, who watches over you, who knows the number of hairs upon your head, who knows your needs before you even notice it, and who's already at work and supplying for your needs before you ever ask him. It's the kind of daddy you've got. Do you believe it? Do you believe it? And how you become a child of the Father in the first place gives you the deepest kind of assurance that he is indeed this kind of Father. Because to become a child of the Father You embrace that God has taken care of your deepest need, your greatest need, your need to have your sins removed from you, forgiven, for justice to be served on your behalf. You know, here's here's something really that we all ought to be worried about, and that is having to stand before a just God with our terrible record of selfishness and sin. That's something that we should be worried about, but that you have assurance not to have to be worried about if you know that God has sent His Son in your family to take justice 
on your behalf. A God who met this need by sending His Son to hell and back in your place, in my place. And if He's already done that, why do I think that He's ever going to stop caring about my smaller needs? If He's already gone from eternity and back and poured out infinite kindness and grace, if He's already given up His most valuable possession, His own Son, to have me as His valued Son, His child, His daughter, why do I think He's going to stop doing that now? You have a Father Have you thought of that recently in that little sphere of that concern or stress or anxiety that you've been worrying about lately? Which one of these things do you most need to wrestle with or let wash over you in the coming week? Jot some thoughts down. Again, worry and stress and anxiety can feel like this avalanche of emotion and sort of this ambiguous, heavy, crazy, nasty thing that you can't get your mind around. It feels endless, but it's actually quite specific. Nail it down, write it down, pray it through, believe these promises. Let's grow. Let's grow together in our worry. Let's pray. Jesus, we are asking that you give us your spirit to apply some of this, that we might be made new in some specific area of our lives. Uh, Thank you for setting us free, for giving us hope, for giving us your Son. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together. And we're going to sing a song that uses...